Hello and welcome to the Semantic Cybersecurity Brief, our fortnightly podcast where we discuss all things cybersecurity. I'm Dick O'Brien and joining me today is Semantic Threat Researcher Alan Neville. In this week's podcast, we will be discussing two new pieces of semantic research, uh, one documenting attacks on Ukraine and the other about a new campaign involving the China-linked group called Antline. But first, let's turn to a story that broke about 48 hours ago, and that is the arrest of two people who are alleged to be involved in the Bitfinex hack. For those of you who are not familiar with the incident, uh, this was an attack that occurred in 2016 against the Hong Kong-based cryptocurrency exchange Bitfinex um, during the attack. A little under 120,000 Bitcoin were stolen from the exchange. Um, At the time, that was worth $65 million. But by the time the charges were filed, this had risen to a whopping $4.5 billion. Uh, What happened this week uh, is that two people, a New York-based couple uh, called Ilya Liechtenstein and Heather Morgan, were arrested on suspicion of attempting to launder the entire 4.5 billion haul. And in addition to this, the Justice Department seized more than $3.6 billion worth of cryptocurrency that it says was linked to the attack. The arrests have attracted uh, quite a bit of media interest, and that's not only due to the absolutely vast amount of money that is involved, but it's also down to the fact that the suspects themselves can hardly be described as reclusive. Liechtenstein describes himself as a cryptocurrency entrepreneur. Uh, Morgan, meanwhile, has uh, quite a colorful social media presence, uh, describing herself as a serial entrepreneur, a SaaS investor, a writer, a rapper, and an artist. Her own website describes her as like Genghis Khan, but with more pizzazz. And she says she's more fearless and more shameless than ever before. She's taking on everyone from the big software companies to healthcare to finance pros. It goes on to say, no one knows for sure where this rapper's from. Could be North African, could be the North African desert, the jungles of Vietnam, or another universe. All that matters is that she's here to stick up for misfits and misfits and underdogs everywhere. Um, the indictment itself uh, makes for some fascinating reading, uh, as cybercrime or cyber espionage indictments often do. Uh, For a start, it gives a good picture of the capabilities of the authorities nowadays uh, to investigate this type of crime. And secondly, um, it gives a pretty interesting overview of what's involved in this level of money laundering, or to be exact, what is alleged to be involved, because of course these are allegations for now that will have to be proven in court. Uh, For a start, the lead investigator on this case was from the IRS, which uh, when you think about it, I guess isn't that surprising given the nature of the activities that are under scrutiny uh, involving the movements of funds. And anyway, what they alleged to have happened was that the entire proceeds of the theft, the the, the whole $4.6 billion, was moved directly from the victim's network to one single wallet. And most of that money, around $3.6 billion, has actually sat in that wallet for the next five years uh, until it was seized uh, by the US government shortly before the announcement of the arrests. The balance uh, is what is alleged to have been laundered. Um, The indictment details a five-step process, um, the first of which, bizarrely, involves moving uh, funds through uh, accounts on the darknet marketplace Alphabay, because uh, at the time Alphabay was known as the biggest drugs marketplace around. 
Um, and that's why I say bizarrely that they chose to use that. Um, it was then moved uh, to a range of cryptocurrencies exchange exchanges before being moved to various uh, unhosted Bitcoin wallets, then being moved back to yet more accounts, yet more cryptocurrency exchanges. Um, and in many cases, the cashing out uh, seems to have been uh, using laundered cryptocurrencies to buy prepaid gift cards. One of the big breaks in the investigation uh, appears to have been when um, authorities obtained a search warrant, which provided access to a cloud storage account uh, that was owned by Liechtenstein. And there they said they found a file containing a list of 2000 virtual currency addresses along with the corresponding private keys. And this included the original wallet with the uh, $3.6 billion worth of cryptocurrency, which of course was then seized. Anyway, uh, this has all got to go to trial now, and, and doubtless we'll be hearing more about this case going forward, uh, but it has been very interesting so far. Moving on, uh, let's go back to a topic that we were discussing on the last edition of the podcast, and that's uh, cyber attacks directed against the Ukraine. Um, this is, of course, a hot topic at present due to the international tensions generated by a big Russian military buildup on the Ukrainian border. Um, and the reason I want to revisit this topic is because shortly after that podcast, uh, we ourselves put out a new piece of research um, about uh, these kinds of attacks, uh, essentially sharing some new information about the Shukworm group, uh, who are also widely known as Gamerreden. Um, and their attacks against um, several organizations in Ukraine. So for those of you who weren't listening last time around, um, Shukworm is a, a cyber espionage group that has been active, uh, we believe, since at least 2013. Um, and they specialize in targeting entities in Ukraine. Uh, the group uh, is widely regarded uh, across the industry to be tied to Russia and indeed the Ukrainian government themselves. Uh, say that it is part of Russia's internal security agency, FSB, uh, and they, they even say it's based in the Crimean city of Sebastopol. A recent report by the Security Service of Ukraine uh, noted that Shukram's, um attacks have grown in sophistication in recent times, with attackers now using living off the land tools to steal credentials and move laterally on uh, victim networks. Um, this is uh, an upgrade on, I think, older types of attacks where they tended to target individual computers. What we found in our own investigation uh, was quite consistent with that report. Um, many of the TTPs described by the Ukrainian government were, were seen by ourselves. Uh, and what we were able to share was lots and lots of new information uh, relating to these attacks, including new indicators of compromises, such as um, file hashes and file naming conventions. Um, but we also documented the attack chain used against uh, one organization. This is during an attack that occurred in July and August of last year. Um, it seems that the attack began uh, when a malicious document was opened um, on a computer on the victim's network. Um, we say that it seems uh, it began with that because shortly after um, the malicious activity began uh, occurring on, on the victim's network. Um, we saw a lot of use of a backdoor uh, that's used by Shukram called the Terrado. Um, and one of the features of this attack that's quite interesting is that uh, the attackers use multiple versions of the Terrado throughout the attack. Uh, they kept on 
uh, installing new versions of this backdoor. Uh, possibly, maybe they wanted to kind of tweak the configuration of the backdoor, and it's also possible that they wanted to um, uh, not arouse suspicion by using a, a fresh version each time. Interestingly, although they were using malware uh, in this attack, we believe that the ultimate payload uh, was a VNC client, which is essentially a legit remote access tool, um, which would have afforded them extensive access to um, the computers that it's installed on. But it's just a kind of an example of these kind of hybrid attacks that we're seeing these days that involve a mixture of malicious and legitimate tools, albeit used for malicious purposes. Um, that attack, as I mentioned, occurred in July and August of last year, but we've seen evidence that these tools have been used as recently as a week or two ago um, against organizations in Ukraine. So it's uh, safe to say that these attacks are ongoing. Okay, let's move on to our next topic, um, because we recently uh, published a blog um, about attacks against financial organizations in Taiwan. And Alan is here to join us because uh, he was the lead researcher uh, on this piece of work. So Alan, uh, could you tell us more about these attacks and, and what were we able to discover? Yeah, of course. Um, so Antlion Sensiara group that we first began tracking back in 2015, and that was basically because of the wake of the Operation Tropic Trooper that had been uh, disclosed by some security vendors. And that was pr uh, predominantly a campaign targeting Taiwan and the Philippines. And in that time, we were able to assess that the group had been active since at least um, early uh, 2011, which somewhat kind of corroborated some of the other reports that had been publicly available uh, about the group at the time. And um, since then, the group have continued their attacks, evolving some of their tools and their tactics uh, to gain footholds into organizations, move across their networks, and ultimately steal information for the purpose of espionage while remaining under the radar. Um, since 2011, Antlion have been observed targeting activists and organizations in Taiwan, Hong Kong, India, Vietnam, Tibet, and the Philippines as well across different sectors such as government, healthcare, media, uh, and military, just to name a few. And more recently, uh, within our blog, we have observed um, Antline shift their focus to financial organizations, uh, predominantly in Taiwan, where they have remained active and undiscovered for almost a year, in some cases, sifting through the networks and exfiltrating data that they're able to discover that's inter of interest to the group. Okay. Um, and always when we uncover a new campaign, there's a, you're kind of looking at it, seeing uh, what's new with the group. Were there any new tools that we've seen them using uh, since we first started tracking them? Yeah, there were. So in these more recent attacks, we had identified a new loader and a backdoor component, which we've dubbed um, XPAC on the compromise systems. The malware itself was actually written in .NES and is used to read the contents of a file with a bin extension decrypt it, and then essentially load it as a service. Uh, it seemed XPAC and its associated payloads were mainly used as part of the initial access and were predominantly used to execute system commands, drop malware and tools, and stage data for exfiltration um, at a later stage. Effectively, XPAC allowed the attackers extensive access to the victim machines, whereby they could execute arbitrary WMI commands remotely and they could upload files, download files, and essentially install whatever additional tools that they needed to assist them in moving across the networks, 
and to locate these systems and files of interest for exfiltration. Um, we have also observed Antline deploying additional malware and custom keyloggers onto these compromised machines um, in, in these recent attacks, including custom loader tools dubbed uh, JPEG Run and Check ID. Uh, both essentially are loaders. Um, however, JPEG uh, Run appears to be a custom loader written in C++, whereas Check ID, for example, was a modified version of a loader that was actually borrowed from uh, a known Chinese tool called Black Hole Rat. Um, Beyond these tools, we also saw the group deploy custom network enumeration tools, tools used for credential dumping, and even tools to assist in the transfer, transfer of uh, stolen data. And the, attacks, uh, the attackers had also used a bunch of off-the-shelf tools, as well as leveraging uh, some living off the land tools, such as like PowerShell, WMIC, CropDump, um, the popular PSExec, um, in these attacks as well. Okay, so you've lots of info on, on what tools they were using on um, networks. Do you have any uh, information on how they actually managed to get into these organizations in the first place? Well, from the research that we were able to um, kind of conduct, there, there was no actual smoking gun. However, we did see Antlion um, abusing a MySQL service to execute system commands. Specifically, this command was certutil which was then used to download their malware, which indicates that the most likely infection vector was exploitation of some web application or service. Um, however, traditionally, Antline are also known to have previously used malicious emails to install their backdoors to gain initial access to victim networks. And I would expect they'd continue to use this method as a means to target organizations. Okay. And in the blog, we, we talked a bit about data exfiltration. Um, were we able to see what were they were stealing and how, how did they do it? So once the group um, identified systems or files of interest to them, uh, we observed them deploying legitimate versions of archiving tools to collect files. Um, in at least one instance, we saw them archiving an entire version control repository, which likely contained like intellectual property or proprietary information and other sensitive uh, documents for that organization. Um, they were then um, able to password protect these archives and then use a combination of PowerShell and bit transfer modules to upload the, the data to attacker controlled infrastructure. We also saw the attackers interact with legitimate software via their backdoor, which may suggest they were interested in collecting um, some other information. And just to name a few of some of the things we did see, the software that they accessed was related to like things um, such as business contact information, software relating to bidding for contracts, uh, money transfer and investment software, and even software used to read smart cards. And now all these types of software can provide information that can be abused by attackers, like such as identifying additional targets of interest, uh, building a bigger picture of the type of work and the contracts that the company or the targets is currently undertaking or what they're planning to work on in the future and with whom um, and even the current financial state of the organization and even possibly i suppose even go on a bit more provide information on on company employees as well okay yeah lots of options there i guess for them in terms of what they could get at um is there any indication uh, about the, the origin of the sandline group 
So there, there were a few indicators, um, potentially like such as targeting the victims that they went after, the tools that they used, and even how the attackers operated that supported the theory that the, that the attackers are a nation state uh, backed Chinese group. So for example, during our investigation, we were able to find some indications that the operators behind Antline spoke traditional Chinese. Uh, when the attackers became active on compromised systems, they firstly changed the code page to what we call 950, which is like a Windows code page for a traditional Chinese language. And they also used a WinRAR tool, so an archiving tool to collect and exfiltrate files from targeted organizations. And that version of that tool was um, a simplified Chinese version. Um, a lot of the tools that they had used were Chinese language, like some of the hack tools that they had used. And even some of their own custom tools have been based on Chinese tools that are freely available online. Um, I suppose these types of indicators coupled with their targeting and the ability to infiltrate and remain active on multiple networks all at the same time suggests that they're well resourced and well organized and likely a Chinese nation state backed actor. Okay, uh, we talk a lot about these kinds of attacks, these you know, espionage attacks on the podcast. Um, is there anything that organizations can do to, to better protect themselves against uh, these kinds of attacks, in your opinion? Yeah, absolutely. Um, all organizations who believe they may be a target of Antline should adopt a defense in in-depth strategy uh, using multiple detection, protection, and hardening technologies to mitigate risk at all points of the potential attack chain. Things like monitoring dual use, tool usage, inside their networks, enabling logging of things like PowerShell, restricting RDP access should all be implemented. And I suppose proper auditing and control of administrative account usage and two-factor authentication should be introduced where possible to help limit the usefulness of any compromised credentials. And I would also suggest just going out to read our blog as well, uh, review the protection information and the indicators of compromise and work with their either internal security team or security vendor to ensure measures have been taken to detect and block this activity across your organization. Okay, good advice there. Thank you, Alan. Uh, that's been uh, illuminating uh, as ever, um, but uh, we'll, we'll leave it there. Uh, that's because that's about all we have time for this week. Um, if you've been enjoying our podcast, don't forget to subscribe to avoid missing out on all of our future episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Threat Intel. And if you'd like to read our latest research, including uh, our blog about Antline, which Alan was just talking about, or indeed our blog about Shookworm, which I mentioned earlier, you can find the blog at semantic-enterprise-blogs.security.com forward slash blogs forward slash threat hyphen intelligence. We're going to be back again in two weeks time, but until then, thank you and goodbye. Bye.